0: I don't have any monster trucks or baseball gloves or stencils this week, uh, and so it's not going to be as fun as last week. Uh, instead, we'll just look at an illustration that Jesus gave. Uh, it's in John 15 if you want to open up there. And uh, During the course of the next seven weeks, now we are uh, doing the Jesus experiment. We are really uh, taking this time in the next seven weeks to make a concentrated effort to live more like Jesus. And last week we talked about uh, examples and what it means to follow the example of Jesus and what the Bible tells us about Jesus as our perfect example. Uh, this week uh, we are, if you've read the chapter uh, in the Jesus Experiment book that, that coincides with what we're talking about here, uh, then then you know we're talking about abiding in Jesus. And today when we look at uh, John 15, 1-11 uh, mainly, That's what we'll be talking about, abiding in Jesus. And if you don't know what abiding is, uh, that's okay because we'll we'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, before we begin to look at what Jesus said, uh, uh, I'll just tell you, uh, this week um, I abided in Jesus less uh, than I normally do. Uh, My prayer life was... Uh, not nearly as good uh, as it normally is. Um, I, I read the Bible just as consistently as I normally do, but it was like a check mark for me, you know. It's like, well, I got that done, uh, uh, and I got nothing out of it because I approached it wrong. And, uh, and it's interesting because uh, I'm not telling you this for no reason. I, as the week went on, I, I found it a lot more difficult uh to be a good person i i, I wasn 't a very good husband uh i, I didn 't feel like being nice to people uh the, the ministry here just felt less important to me uh when I, w- I was trying to sing those songs to Jesus back there uh it was like what am i doing you know i just uh, i 'm just singing and uh it doesn 't really matter to me and here 's the other here 's the other crazy thing is I had a worse time putting this sermon together uh, than, than maybe any time in my entire life. Uh, it was about 6.30 last night. Bryn and I had just eaten dinner, and Bryn was coming up here for a, 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 um, an engagement party. And uh, she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I have to work. And I don't have anything written down for my sermon tomorrow. Now, before you go, well, what am I doing? Let's go home. Uh, I, had studied, uh, I had studied. I had studied. I had looked at the passage. I had read uh, quite a bit about this passage. And, and I had thought... Okay, now this is where the inspiration comes, you know. And and generally after I study, I feel like God starts to to put some things on my heart. And and, and I've been manuscripting my sermons lately, and so I'll sit down at the keyboard and I need about two thousand to two thousand five hundred words, and uh, I'll start typing, and it, it kind of flows out of my fingers and my mind and my heart, and it all kinds of kind of works together. Uh, but th- that's not how it went this week. I I I I, I thought and I thought. Okay, okay, I don't know what uh, I'm going to put down. And I I wasn't even getting the computer out. I thought if I read some more on this passage of Scripture, then then I'll get something, you know, and something will come to me. If I do some wandering, uh, because you know I wander, that's part of my sermon preparation, then something, something's going to connect. There will be a good illustration. Uh, It will come to me, you know, I'll get it, right? And it wasn't until uh, we just sang that last song right back there uh, that I thought, oh... I am the example this week, I guess, uh, because I, I, I've, I've preached a lot. I mean, I, I've studied how to preach a lot. And sometimes it's very easy for me to go, well, I'm just going to do this, this, and this, and here's my good idea, and, and I'll spit it out, and, and people will compliment me later. Uh, but as I was sitting back there singing, I'm desperate for you, I realized uh, that that what Jesus says in John 15, especially verses 1 through 11, is, is is true. Uh, because I don't think it was any coincidence uh, that I really struggled to put together a, a sermon uh, in a week when I really didn't care uh, to abide or be close to Jesus. Uh, I just really uh, kind of put Him second this week, second to the ministry, second to the things that I wanted to do. And out of that, uh, the things that I wanted to do and the ministry that I tried to do uh, struggled. And I don't know if we'll have any fruit here today maybe uh, by the grace of God you will get something out of this sermon uh, I did write some things down and, and uh, as and hopefully it will be okay uh, and even as I was trying to pray and and, and I kind of last night was was catching on to what Jesus was saying to me you know I didn't really get it until just a second ago but I was kind of catching on and so I was throwing up these these stupid prayers like okay I'm abiding now tell me what to say you know <laughs> and, and that's kind of how that that conversation was going even Brandon and I went back and prayed again because I, this isn't very good, what I have down, uh, and so, so hopefully, I, I know the passage of scripture. I, I feel pretty good about that, but uh, but but hopefully we'll get something. But there's still Brandon can attest to this. The prayer back there was like. God, I don't feel very close to you, and, um, and, and I, hopefully this will work out, so please make it work out. And that, that's kind of how it went. And so probably the greatest thing that you can get out of this, even before I open up this passage of Scripture, is, is I'm a living testimony right now uh, to what Jesus saying being true. And, and what we read in, in our chapters, hopefully you've read those chapters already, chapter 2 of the Jesus Experiment, I, I'm a great testimony. We can strive to to be like Jesus. We can, we can say, I'm going to follow this great set of rules and I'm going to do exactly what this book says and, and I'm just going to work hard at this and, and do my checkoff lists and get an accountability partner and, uh, and make sure that I have my whole life in order. Uh, but what Jesus says here is that uh, it's not going to produce the fruit that you want. You won't follow the example of Jesus. You won't live the life that God has called you to unless you draw close to God. It doesn't matter that I that I read and read and read, uh, not that much, I read and read I guess on this passage of scripture, that doesn't really matter what would have mattered to you, what would have produced fruit in your life today, uh, you could have been some of my fruits if I would have drawn close to Jesus this week as opposed to saying, hey Jesus, uh, you need to take a backseat to the things I need to get done and I want to get done. And so, uh, that's probably the best thing that you'll hear today, but... Uh, if you don't mind, we'll look at the words of Jesus. They're still good whether I, I am or not. Uh, and so uh, John 15, uh, we'll read 1 through 11 and then we'll come back and explain it. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Chad. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you." This is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete." I'm going to pray one more time. Lord, uh, I just pray that you will move now despite me and these people's lives. And uh, God, uh, I pray that you would produce fruit in them uh, and in me this morning, God, as, as we look at this passage of Scripture, God. And I apologize in front of these people and you, God, um, for not not being close to you this week and not making it uh, a priority to be close to you this week, God. Uh, and I pray that I I can be a living example to what you say here, uh, and that we will, God, as a congregation and as individuals, be people and a group that that consistently just allows ourselves to be close to you and to be in a in a better relationship with you, Father. Pray these things in your name, Amen. Now, first thing Jesus says here is, I am the true vine. Uh, now. The question that, that you've got to ask is, what is the false vine? I mean, what, what is if Jesus is the true vine and he, and he jumps into this analogy uh, just by saying, I am the true vine, with no explanation, then, then what is the false vine? What is he comparing himself to? You've got to go back to the Old Testament to understand this. And uh, if you looked back at the Old Testament, you would find that Israel, the nation of, is consistently compared to a vine. This is most specific in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a good crop of grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge, me and my, judge between me and, and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, You look at that, and I won't finish the rest of that passage, and you see immediately that that God is comparing Israel to a a vineyard. What's really fascinating about that comparison is is here in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7, and throughout the Old Testament, you consistently see that when when God compares Israel to the vine, then they always are being or about to be punished. Every time he compares them to a vine, he looks at them and says, you are the vine, and you have not produced the fruit that I have asked you to produce, and so I am going to have to punish you. Every single time, there is no exception to that rule. And so, when Jesus steps on the scene, he's talking about the nation of Israel, and he's he's saying, look, the nation of Israel was the vine, but they were not the true vine. They were not the vine that could produce eternal fruit. I am the true vine. And so he looks at this group of Jewish people who would have known this analogy quite well. This is to his disciples specifically. And he says to them, it's not about being connected anymore to a nation. It's not about being connected to this group of people. It is about being connected to me, the God of the universe who has walked around with you for these last three years. I think this has really good uh, application in, for us today. I think it's uh, a pretty clear application, and that is uh, that we we are not going to produce fruit by being connected to some religious organization. We're not going to produce fruit by following some traditions that have been passed down to us. The only way that we are going to connect, uh, to, to produce real fruit is by connecting to the true vine, Jesus. Many people have tried to produce fruit, have tried to live a better life, have tried to live more like Jesus by making a greater effort. Uh, I just kept reading this week. That was my effort, right? Like if I just read another, uh, another book on the, uh, another section of a book on this passage of scripture, then it will come to me. And, and I said, well, one more, you know, and, and one more. And I, I think I know a lot about this, but maybe one more will give it to me. Right. And sometimes that's how we are. We say, if I just do the right stuff that has been handed down to me, then, then, then I'm going to be able to work my way into producing good fruit, to living the life that God wants me. To live but jesus says that's not the case the only way that you can produce good fruit is by being connected to him who is the true vine the true person who can give life-giving nourishment that allows for you to produce the fruit that god has called you to produce now the second thing he says here is that his father is the gardener. In other translations, it's a little more accurate. It says the vine dresser. And I think uh, that the uh, TNIV went with gardener because that's a more familiar thing to us. Uh, maybe not as or- as Oregonians because we have vineyards all around us, right? But for, for the typical American, gardener probably made more sense. But uh, But a vine dresser, is, is a person who has to do a lot more than even the typical gardener. Uh, a, a vine dresser is not a person who can just plant something, let the rain come down, and then several months later show up and see the crop that has been produced. Uh, a vine dresser has to take care of, <coughs> excuse me, the vines intimately. They have, to, they have to actually know each vine in their vineyard on a personal level, if you will, in, in order that they will be able to produce the fruit that, that the person wants, the grapes that the person wants. And so each vine, if you will, if we, can make, if we can personify these things, has kind of a mind of its own. And it's the vine dresser's job to come along and say, hey, what is it that I need to do to this particular vine in order to get those grapes to grow so that I can have the product... That I want at the end of the day the fruit, and so when when Jesus says that his father is the vine dresser he isn't just saying that the father is a God who kind of Creates us and plants us and then goes away from us and hopes that someday we will produce fruit. Instead, what Jesus is saying is that God, His Father, the Heavenly Father, is a being who is intimately involved in our lives and doing what we need to have done in our lives in order that we might produce fruit. It's not always going to look the same. There is no cookie-cutter approach to our fruit production, to us being discipled the way that God wants. Instead, God is is intimately involved in our lives. Now, this reminds me of my basketball coach. uh, And uh, My senior year, um, I played basketball for a long time by then. A lot of basketball games had gone into it. And... and, uh, Got the starting job as a senior um, and uh, was playing okay basketball uh, had some really good moments and we were really early in the season. We went over to a tournament uh, I think in South Bend somewhere on the uh, on the coast and uh, and we're over there and and uh, throughout the uh, i should back up uh, for my junior and senior year, uh, my coach had just yelled at me all the time. I actually ran into uh, the guy who started in front of me my junior year uh, the other day. And uh, it's funny, I didn't talk to Luke about this, but uh, but Luke uh, knew it. Luke would mess up and then I would get yelled at and then Luke would laugh at me, right? This was kind of me and Luke's relationship. I remember one time specifically he threw this ball like five feet over my head and uh, and I can't jump five feet, look at me. Uh, and And Coach Gar starts yelling at me. And Luke is just laughing at, when Coach Gar has his back turned, of course, and he's just laughing at me. And so I had spent like a year and a half just being yelled at over and over and over again. And, and I think I had just, I had just, I was done with it. I, I, I couldn't take it anymore. And so, uh, so there was a loose ball and I dove for the basketball and I fouled this guy. And Coach Gar just screams at me and, and pulls me out of the game and I was done. That was it. I was going to quit. Uh, we went into the locker room. Uh, I was teary-eyed, not because he had yelled at me, but because I, I, my basketball career was done. I, I was going to go home and I was never going to play basketball again. Uh, and uh, as that happened... Um uh, he 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 knew, uh, and he talked to a couple of my teammates and said, you know, what's the, what's the deal here? Uh, why is Chad going to quit? Is he a quitter? And thankfully, they knew me well enough to know I had played with these guys since fifth grade, and uh, and so they, they knew I wasn't a quitter, and they said, no, Chad's not a quitter. I, I think he's just sick of being yelled at. Uh, and so so Coach Gar says, hey, before you're done here, uh, why don't we were traveling? He says, hey, uh, let's meet uh, in in my room at the hotel, and and let's have a conversation about this. And so for about two hours, I'm meeting with with Coach Gar, and and we have this conversation. I I remember what he said, and it was really fascinating. He said, I didn't think I could yell at other people, but somebody needed to be yelled at. And so I yelled at you because I thought that you could handle it and and that you wouldn't quit. (laughs) Go figure, right? Uh, And I said, well, that's not the case. Uh, and, And I take being yelled at pretty well, but but not for a year and a half. Um, and so anyway, so we, we left that day and I, we, we had it out and, and, and in a nice way. It was a productive conversation and, and I still feel pretty close to Coach Gar because of that two-hour conversation. And, and from that point on, the way he treated me changed. He, he interacted with me on a totally different level. Uh, he was still just as strict and he still yelled at me uh, when he needed to, but it was a different relationship. And I think uh, as much as I wouldn't have wanted to admit it that night, the Coach guard became a pretty good picture uh, of a vine dresser of God uh, for us because he said, look, I'm not getting the most out of Chad by screaming at him. In fact, he's going to give up. And so I'm going to adapt the way that I treat him. And actually he adapted the way he treated the whole team uh, that year. And And he got the most out of us. He produced the most basketball fruit. And and so God is looking down and he's not some God who just says, Hey, I want to yell at you because I need to. And, 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 or I'm just going to treat you all the same. But he looks at us and he intimately says, I want to have this relationship with you. And so I'm going to help you in the best way possible, produce the fruit that God, that I want you to produce. And, And that's a pretty cool thing. Now, it goes on to say that he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And it's interesting because when you see cut off, it's like punishment, right? You think he cuts them off and he's done with them and it's over. Uh, but actually, this word ere uh, can mean lifted up. And in other places in John, not always, but in other places in John, it's actually, uh, it's actually translated as lifted up, um, I had a professor who uh, uh, has some of the notes. If you have a Thomas Nelson study Bible, then uh, his notes are on uh, this passage of Scripture at the bottom. And and he, he explains it in depth. Uh, and he says that if you look at the the, the viticulture practices of the time, uh, then really there was two seasons uh, when the people would clean up these branches. There was a spring season and there was a fall season. And in the spring season, when Jesus is talking, because he's about to go die on the cross and we know that was about Easter, right? Right in that time frame right there. And so in the spring when he's talking, what would take place is that they would come along, the vine dresser, and they would clean all of of the debris and stuff. But they would take the branches that weren't producing fruit at that time and they would lift them up and they would put them on a higher ground so that they may begin to produce fruit. What's fascinating is that this doesn't transfer, and so uh, a lot of times when you see taken away or cut off, uh, it's, it's because American vineyard practices are different than, than if you go over to Israel. But if you go over to Israel, even today, so I'm told, and you're walking, uh, they don't do vineyards the same way that we do, and so you'll see these vines, right, of, of grape plants on the ground. And, and when the season comes and, and they're not producing fruit, what the, the vine dresser does is he puts them up on 8 to 10 inch rocks and he lifts them onto these rocks so that they can have a, a better chance and they don't uh, put uh, roots into the ground and they can start producing fruit. And so we see in Jesus' analogy here, if we could get our minds into the first century mindset of a Jewish person, that Jesus isn't saying that that if a, a person who has given their life to Christ is not producing any fruit right off the bat or at a point in their life, then to hell with them. What Jesus is saying is I'm going, God is going, the vine dresser is going to lift them up and He's going to invest in them and nurture them so that eventually they may produce the fruit that God God wants them to produce. What's interesting is that He says, if if a person, if, if the vine is already, or excuse me, the branches are already producing fruit, in the next part of this passage, then He prunes them so that they will be even more fruitful. And so, this word "prune" is, is a word that I think it gets translated "cleanse" sometimes, but it's the idea of removing all of the debris and all of the things that that might hurt a, a branch. And so, when you think about this, I think we see a twofold aspect of Christians here. We're not looking at non-Christians and, and Christians in verse 2. I think we're looking at Christians. And there's two types of Christians, I think, that, that Jesus is pointing to here. One, the type that is not producing fruit. And what needs to happen specifically in their lives is that they need to be nurtured. And they need to take time to, to grow in their relationship with Christ so that they may start to produce fruit. And then there's other people who are already producing fruit and you see the good work in their lives and you see the things that God is, is doing in them. And they need to continue to have the things that might prevent that from stopping removed from their lives. And so God is, Jesus is looking and He's saying, there are two types of Christians. There are those who are not producing fruit that need to be lifted up. They need to be nurtured. They need to draw closer to God. And then there are others that need to continue to have things removed from their lives. Now, in the next part of this, uh, Jesus gets into this word abide. He says it six times really, really quick. It's like abide, abide, abide. Uh, If you notice the sermon title, it's abide, abide, abide. I figured six was a little too much. Uh, And so I went with the three. You can double that and you see that Jesus uses this word six times. Now, what's really interesting about abide is I went into this thinking that I knew uh, what it meant. You know, you draw close to God, you spend time in prayer and things like that. And, and as I was reading, you know, I was, uh, I was saying, God, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be close to you this week, but I'm going to read about this passage of Scripture. It's really fascinating because every person that I read on, on this section of Scripture talked about how important abiding was, and Jesus says it six times, right? But not a single person defined it. Not a single person helped me grasp what it really means in my life to abide in Jesus. What complicates this idea even more is that if you skip down uh, in verse 9 and 10, you see this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain, which by the way, if I, I forgot to say this. Remain and abide are the same word. Some people translate it remain and some abide. So, you can insert abide. I like it better. Now, abide in my love. Notice this, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. And so Jesus in 9 and 10 uses this same word abide, but He says it not about Himself as much as He says it about His love. And so a lot of commentators, they say, okay, here's the deal, Uh, we'll just make it about that. That abiding in Jesus is synonymous with what he said abiding in his love is and so therefore in order to abide in the love of Jesus and abide in Jesus what you need to do is you need to follow his commands and so i'm i'm just all week i'm like this doesn't make sense to me because i i think following his commands are are, are part of uh you know the 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 fruit right i mean that's that's kind of what we're shooting for and and so i just I, I i couldn't i didn't get it and and it was i just The more I read, uh, just the more complicated it felt to me. And then, maybe this morning, but at some point it just occurred to me. I I think that sometimes if we dissect too much, then we lose the real meaning of something, right? Uh, If we take something apart too much, then it no longer is the thing that made it so great in the first place. And so here's, here's what I think, okay? And this is what I think, take it for what, uh, what it's worth. The guy that didn't care about being close to Jesus this week, uh, take it for what it's worth. Uh, but this is what I think. I think that, that abiding in Jesus is, is simply this. It's trying to be as close to Jesus as you can. I think that to, to remain in Jesus is just to continue to have a good relationship with Him. I'm going to see some high school friends today. We're playing a basketball game together this afternoon and and, uh, uh, you know, one of them, uh, Tony, uh, I've lost contact with through the years. And we haven't remained as close. I still love Tony. I think highly of Tony. But we just, we just haven't uh, interacted as much. But me and Ryan, uh, we've continued to talk. We, we update each other on each other's lives. We, we try to get together when he's in town. And, and we've stayed closer. And I think this is kind of uh, what, what Jesus is saying. That, that when, you, when you're in a relationship with him, you need to be focused on being close to Him. You need to be focused uh, on on having a good relationship with Him and not letting it fall to the wayside. Not saying, I'm going to put other stuff ahead of you, the things that I need to get done, the things that I want to get done. It's not about putting uh, other people ahead of Jesus. It's about saying, Jesus, I am going to be as close to you as I possibly can. Now, I think, I'm running out of time, but I think... There are a few things that are involved in this. And we see this through what he says. He says, if you have loved me, so I have loved you, as I said. Now remain in my love. I think that remaining in the love of Jesus, that staying in love with Jesus and allowing Jesus' love to be in your life, I think that that is part of the overall picture of abiding in Jesus and remaining close to Him, right? I think we remain close to the people that we love. Would you agree with that? Uh, the people that, not that I don't love Tony. I'm sorry, Tony, if you listen to this on the internet. But uh, uh, but I, I love Tony. But, but a lot of times the people that we love, we, we, we stay close to them. But the people that, that we kind of like, we just let them kind of, you know, they disappear from our lives or whatever. And we look back and say, I wonder if they're on Facebook. And, and so uh, when Jesus says here to abide in his love, we need to keep His commandments, then I think that's part of the overall process of abiding. So so here's what here, here's what I think we need to understand. A, a huge step in remaining close to Jesus is striving to do the things that you know He wants you to do. Now He says to His disciples in verse 3, You are already cleansed, you are already more like Me, and you can produce fruit because of the word that I have given to you. And so Jesus spends three years with these people. He spends three years hanging out with them, teaching them, telling them parables. And he says to them, because of that, because of that, you are remaining in me. You are abiding in me. And so at the front of this thing, there's, there's, there's a couple things that are important for abiding in Jesus. The first is to, to know what it is that Jesus wants you to do. We talk a lot about reading the Bible, right? That's something we say in Christian circles a lot. I should read the Bible more. If you if you if you ask anybody, what are three things that if God could call you on a telephone, he would he would tell you, and and give me and this is what I do with people sometimes, give me three negative and three positive, without question, two of the negative will be I should pray more and I should read the Bible more, right? And you've heard me say this before, but telling yourself I need to read the Bible more usually will not result in reading the Bible more. Instead, saying why is it that I should read the Bible more is an important part. And here Jesus says it's because part of abiding in me and remaining close to me is understanding what I want from your life. And so when you open the scriptures, it is not, as, as Chad demonstrated this week in the wrong way, a, a check mark that I did it, I opened the Bible and I got it out of the way and now I can get on with the real ministry and getting the stuff done that, that God has told me to do. Instead of saying, what is it that Jesus wants from my life? The second part of abiding as I run through this really quickly is, is to say I'm going to do my best to try to do those things. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, then you remain in my love. Uh, when we were studying the book of James, we found, uh, with our young adult group, we found that there it tells us that, that, that God is not going to continue to help us know what we should do if we're not doing what we already know we should do. And so a part of remaining in the love of God is to not say, Hey God, I want to know what you want from me, but I'm not going to do it. I, I want to do my best for you, but I already know I shouldn't be doing this. The second part of remaining in the love of God and abiding in Jesus, therefore, is is to say, I'm going to do my best to do what I know you want me to do. As we go through the Jesus experiment, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to say, man, this is is what Jesus thought, felt, uh, said and did. And I want to align myself to it. And it's going to be really hard for you to become more like Christ if you say, well, that's what Jesus thought, felt, said and did. I'm not going to do that. But, you know what, I want to be more like Jesus. That's, that's not going to work. And so part of abiding is simply saying, I'm going to do my best to be the person that Jesus wants me to be. Now, the other part, uh, really quickly, I, I'm sorry to rush through all this, But uh, the other part, if you'll notice, Jesus says uh, that if, if you are abiding in Him, whatever you ask in His name will be given to you. And He repeats that phrase twice. And so it seems that wrapped up in this abiding process is prayer. Prayer comes out of it. Prayer goes into it. Prayer is just wrapped up in the abiding process. And so Jesus is saying here, that if you will remain in me, if you will abide in me, if you will draw close to me, if you will, uh, if you will be in my word and try to understand what I want and then go out and try to do it, uh, then what you ask will be in my will. And so as we draw close to Jesus, what happens is the things we start to pray look like the things that Jesus would pray Himself. So I was reading this week, It was this. I, I, I loved this, this one line that I read and He said, in essence, He said, if you are going to say, I pray these things in Jesus' name, then you better pray things that Jesus himself would pray. And a lot of times when we, when we go down on our knees and we start to pray, we ask for a bunch of things that Chad might pray, and we might as well get to the end of that prayer and say, in Chad's name, I pray these things. But when we pray in Jesus' name, it should be because we are aligning ourselves with him, something we are trying to, to consciously do in these next seven weeks. And it should be because we are so close to Jesus that we, that we know that the things coming out of our mouths are the things that He would ask for Himself if He was still on this earth praying to His Heavenly Father. And so, so let's just look. If you want to stay close to Jesus, part of that is remaining in His love. And that happens through understanding what He wants. That happens through trying to do what He wants. And that happens through a, a prayer life. Uh, prayer coming out of that and prayer going into that. I'm going to end w- with with just this. Um, two things. Uh, you see in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then he says, remain in me. And, and then he goes on and he says, he says, if anyone does not remain in me, it's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. There's two things happening here. First of all, he looks at his disciples and says, I know you have a real relationship with me because you are already clean. And Jesus looks at these people and he says, hey, I am, I am going to die for your sins. Literally within hours, Jesus is going to die so that these people can be saved. So that they can have an even better relationship with Him. And so when He, when he says this to them, as they're, as they're leaving the upper room, hanging out, and Jesus is walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the last thing He says to these people. And He's saying it to them, and He's saying, I have confidence in you, and I have confidence in the fact that you will abide in me because because you have a real relationship with me. And God offers that relationship to us by dying on the cross just a few hours later so that we can be saved from our sins. And now if we accept that gift of eternal life, then we have the ability to draw close to God. But, but then he says, if, if, if a person doesn't ever draw close to me, then they're going to hell, to paraphrase what he says. He says, those are going to be branches that are, are, are burnt later on because they're useless to me. Now, there's different ways to interpret this, but I'll just say what I think. I think that what Jesus is saying is that if you are never a person who draws close to Jesus, if you can look at your life and say, I've never produced fruit and I'm never going to produce fruit because I don't know what it means to be close to Jesus, then you're then you're not a Christian. Then you, then you don't have a real relationship with Him. And so while for a while you cannot produce fruit and God will lift you up and nurture you, if if that persists forever... If you are persistently not bearing fruit, then you don't have a real relationship with Jesus. I don't mean to sound harsh, but this is the message that God has given me to tell the world. Uh, that, that maybe you aren't a Christian. And so uh, I'll say it as much as I can because that is what God has told me to tell our country. Uh, and so there it is. If there is no fruit in your life and that persists, and you say, there's never been fruit in my life, then what I say to you is go back. Go back to verse 3 and say Jesus I need you to clean me by your blood that you shed on the cross so that I can have a real relationship with you and draw close and produce the fruit that God has asked me that that you have asked me to produce lord and so, uh, I'll close this in prayer, but here's what I ask for you. There's, I said a bunch, and I said it as quickly as I possibly could. Uh, I said, uh, yeah, uh, way more than uh, 2,000 words in 25 minutes right there. Uh, w- w- there's, three, there's three levels of things going on. There are those who need to give their lives to Jesus. And if you haven't done that, I would say do that. Uh, because, because you get eternal life, and you, you can be fulfilled, it says at the end of this passage. You can have real joy in verse 11. Read that passage and take it in. Second thing is, if you, are, if you are a non-fruit producing person, then, then you need to be nurtured. And you need to focus on, on developing your relationship with God further. And you don't need to start serving. You don't need to start doing more stuff. You need to say, God, I need to fall more in love with you and draw close to you. And, and the third thing uh, is that for those of you who are producing fruit, remember that God wants to keep you moving forward. And that you need to purposely doesn't matter. Uh, I think there's fruit in my life right now. But you need to purposely and daily say, God, I want to continue to be close to you because that is when the real fruit takes place. And I I hope that I will do that next week and and I can do a better job when I stand in front of you. Will you guys pray with me and we'll close the service. Lord, I thank you uh, uh, for this passage of Scripture, Lord. And I I thank you, God, that um, that, that even when we... uh, we aren't trying to draw close to you the way that we should during a week. You don't uh, throw us into the, the fiery pits of hell, God, but, but you, you lift us up, Lord, um, and, and you did that to me through, through our music team today, God, and, and I, I needed that, Lord, and you reminded me that it is about drawing close to you even though I should have known that. And I pray for each of us in this room, God, that, that we would do the thing in this passage that we need to do, God. Uh, if, if somebody doesn't know you here today, God, I pray they would give their lives to you and be cleansed, God, through your uh, gift of salvation on the cross. I pray, God, that that for those who do know you and have a real relationship with you but aren't producing fruit, I pray, God, that they would they would really take seriously the need to draw close to you and be nurtured by you, Lord. And then, and then for those of us like, like I think me, God, who, who have fruit and, and are producing some fruit, God, um, I pray that we would take seriously every day the call to remain and abide, God, in you and our relationship with you and, and your love for us and our love for you, Lord. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.